been reading Peter's letter to the seven groups of churches, I feel more confident even the last week that if you're reading his letter, it's like watching someone color in a circle. And the Apostle Paul, who Peter references in Second Peter, they were contemporaries, they wrote about each other and knew about each other. Talk more about that in a minute. The Apostle Paul would be that kid who colors really carefully, and you can tell that it's dark near the line because he really wanted to get in the line. James just colors outside the line. He colors the circle in, but just, you know, all over the place. And Peter goes around and around, filling in until the circle is filled in because he's a preacher. And I believe in chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, which I was already supposed to read, which I haven't read, which I'll read in just a second, he's preaching as much as he's teaching. In chapters 2, in chapter 1 and 2, he describes the gospel in a believer's life. And in in the end of chapter 2 and in the beginning of chapter 3, he talks about what it looks like for a follower of Christ to act like a follower of Christ with respect to their employer and their spouse and um, the government. And those are challenging things. And so here's a word of encouragement for them. If you have your Bible, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You heard it read earlier, and then just now, that Christ brings us to God. And there's a daily benefit to being his and knowing that he is ours. Jesus described it as a kingdom, and Peter is preaching encouragement to these seven churches, to these sojourners and exiles, which all Christians are, who are, being, who are um, grieved by various trials, as are you. He encourages them, reminding them of the gospel here in chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. He mentions a number of times in, in chapter 1, or in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, that Christians don't repay evil for evil. Why not? Because of Christ, who suffered to bring us to God. He says that Christians learn to honor everyone and to love the brotherhood and to honor the emperor. And he uses a metaphor because different emperors are, respond in different ways. How could Christians do that with a good conscience? Why should Christians do that? Because of Christ How could we learn to submit to one another and live in an understanding way, especially those of us that are married? Why? How is through the Holy Spirit's power leading discipleship time? Why? Because of Christ. And I wonder if in listening to verses 18 through 22 in in chapter 3 in all of Peter's letter, if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it. You could read it quite quickly. 
about 12, 15 minutes. Um, you could read it quite slowly because it is a packed letter. Do you hear him reminding you in these few verses about the power of the death of Christ and then resurrection? Do you believe that the atonement is enough? I think that you do. I think people don't come to church where you have to wear a mask on the whole time or you have to drive in if you don't believe that his work on the cross was enough. And yet I'm asking you to encourage you, though it's going to be a roundabout sort of encouragement. The first great preacher I ever sat under that I was aware of, as a kid maybe I sat under great preachers and I was too me, said that when we beat ourselves up, whether it's about temptation that we failed to avoid or sin we chose somewhat deliberately, when we beat ourselves up, we're saying that the work of Christ on the cross was not enough and something must be added to it. I believe that you believe that it's enough and yet hear Peter preaching that you can continue to believe and believe more deeply that it's enough. Because when we, when we believe and affirm and trust and receive that it's enough, then our, our choices to avoid temptation are choices of life and light. Not because they merit anything with God. Then when we choose to live in an understanding way, to submit, to love the brotherhood, to honor, is not because that curries favor with God. And that's not because we need to be good or else it's a move of joy. Peter's quite clear that Christ suffered once, being put to death in the flesh. This is an accomplished work. Jesus' words are, it is finished, and it is. His death atoned for our sin. That's grace. The foundation of our faith. Hear it again from Peter and notice where your brain might jump in and distract you. That he, just he. How about us? Where do we factor into this? Are you singing the pink song in your head now? What about us? My daughter hates that song. She said pink's voice sounds like sadness itself. And maybe she's not wrong. That he might bring us back to God. Oftentimes we insert ourselves into the story too quickly and we miss grace and we put a weight on our shoulders that we cannot bear. It is not our work. It is his work. Just part of the beauty of it. From a distance, it looks subtle, the difference between believing you can save yourself and then acting kindly and generously. But ultimately, it looks very different because we don't beat ourselves up anymore. We do not obey for obedience' sake. We don't do the right thing because it's the right thing. We make those moves of joy. We make those moves out of joy, so thankful that he might bring us back to God. Christ brings us to God through Saturday, and we need to talk a little bit about the spirits and the prison and all that kind of stuff. You know the Nephilim. I know you're familiar with all that. But first, I want to point out that this is an historical point that Peter... uh, Peter's making a number of points at the same time, and I kind of wish he had said more words, to be frank, but he didn't. The Holy Spirit encouraged him to write what he wrote, and he did. Christ brings us to God through Saturday, and this is an historical thing. 
almost no one historically anti-Christian, ambivalent, or followers of Jesus question whether a man named Jesus was crucified on a Friday for blasphemy. The Romans unjustly allowed this, but that's what he was crucified for, and I'll talk about that in a minute. And then on, Saturday, on Friday night, and then on Saturday, it was quiet for his followers. They were sad. And what happened on Sunday, according to Christians, is Jesus rose from the dead. He was filled back with resurrection life as our older brother, showing us what will happen to those of us that call him Lord and receive his new life. But it is historical that on Friday, Jesus died. And Friday night and Saturday and Sunday morning early, it was quiet and mournful for his friends and followers. You see, the, the Bible is often discredited for all sorts of things, and yet it is an incredibly verifiable horse, uh, what was I about to say? Incredibly verified and verifiable document. In addition to the history surrounding Jesus' death, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he references Paul, and this is so interesting, because first of all, at best, their relationship was rocky because of what Paul did before he was a follower of Jesus. But then if you read Galatians 2 and Acts 15, you know, they butted heads. And yet Peter and Paul read each other and they expected the churches that were reading their letters to be reading the other one. As the New Testament was forming, they knew each other and they were contemporaries. And Peter also says that Paul's kind of hard to understand. So if you've had trouble with Paul, Peter's sort of your buddy. But the reason I bring that up is that's intertextual evidence of the New Testament church. And the number, the, the 500 or so initially, and then thousands after that, um, that proclaimed Jesus as Lord, the 500 that saw him rise from the dead, and then went back and studied their Old Testament to understand fully who he was. Jesus was killed on a Friday for blasphemy, which is claiming to be God, and then he proved that it in fact wasn't blasphemy when he rose from the dead. Now the when and the where and the why of in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Um, what's that all about? Most scholars who write about this, and I, wrote, I read as much this week on a single clause of scripture as I have in a long, long time. Most of the people who write about this connect it to um, the Apostles' Creed that says Christ descended into hell. And therefore, they connect it to um, Jesus' suffering as a human and the importance of that. It's essential to the existential part of our faith and the atonement that we understand as much as we can, as much as we can be grasped by the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man, which means that when he's on the cross, his sense of the Father's love was gone. Did the Father still love the Son? Yes. And Jesus had zero experience of it. And that's essential for the doctrine of the atonement, and it's essential for us who have been lonely and in pain to know that Jesus was lonely and in excruciating pain of the emotional and spiritual sort. The dominant or the, the, the first theory is that uh, the, the spirits that he's preaching to, and by prison, it, it, not a prison like with four walls, but um, a, wa a watchtower, like you're waiting for something, is the word. Prison is still a good word because watchtower is weird. 
um, would be weird for translation purposes, but people theorized that Jesus preached the gospel to the people that didn't hear the gospel as clearly as he preached it. So that would be all the saints of the Old Testament. So Abraham, Moses, Elijah, even John the Baptist who died before Jesus um, was crucified. Another theory, and this is, this is interesting because throughout the New Testament, most of the references to spirits are to angels. So this is the fallen angels, and if you're familiar with the story of Noah, you know that Genesis 6, 1 through 4, is very interesting. And we really wish the Holy Spirit had given Moses a few more words if you're a biblical scholar on that stuff. I think it's both. I think both the Old Testament saints were so encouraged, and it wasn't that they weren't saved before Jesus came and proclaimed to them, but they were so encouraged to learn the physical makeup of their salvation. Grace existed before Jesus, but it was not uh, as, it wasn't embodied. It was not yet enfleshed in him. And I believe every angel, fallen and not, was quite aware when Jesus tore off the gates of hell. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 is where Peter's preaching the sermon and we reflected in a number of our songs that death could not hold him. If you'd like to read the 10 articles this week, this week, uh, the, if you'd like to read the 10 articles that I read this week, I'm, I'm thinking about putting them on a blog for people like Eric Swinson who would love to read them. Um, it was so encouraging to read them and then I would realize a lot of my technical questions weren't answered because the point of this is to encourage you about the atonement, about where Christ is seated, about the power of his death on the cross. And for Peter, Noah is either the prime example or a prime example of followers of God suffering for him in the Old Testament. Can you imagine building a giant box in the desert that's supposed to float in an ocean and what your neighbors would say? I mean, we have room here at the church. Maybe we should start. I don't think so. God hasn't told me anything. But can you imagine what the dog walkers would say? And so Peter brings Noah into this for a number of reasons, but one of them is he suffered. The other reason is as he's suffering and people are asking him about what he's doing, we don't have a record of what he said, but he definitely explained himself. And when he explained himself, that's the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ proclaiming the gospel to those people who did not repent. Peter's so encouraged by this because how amazing as he went back to his Old Testament and he saw Christ on almost every page. And then to the seven churches that he's writing, he expects this to encourage them because it was illegal in the Roman Empire to say Jesus is Lord at that time. It was enforced differently around the areas um, that Peter and Paul and Jude, I shouldn't try and name all the New Testament letters. It was enforced differently around the Mediterranean. Um, but it was illegal to say that Jesus is Lord. And they suffered other kinds of stuff. They suffered in other ways from other religions that did not appreciate Christianity for a whole host of reasons. And when we talk about suffering, it's okay to acknowledge that we suffer differently. It's also important to learn from the Bible how to suffer as a Christian and why it's part of our faith. And if you immediately go to a perspective argument, like, ah, oh, it could be worse. Yes, that's true, and you're avoiding grief. 
which is a very Western thing to do and not a very healthy thing to do. Yes, others have been grieved more than most of us, and yet you have been grieved by various trials, especially over the last five months. I believe when Christians see death, it stings differently than for those who are not followers of Christ because we know that death is unnatural, and that's a form of suffering. For many Christians, when they see injustice, it bothers them more because God's perspective of justice is so pure and noble. When we experience disease, first or secondhand, that is suffering. And Peter expected this text to encourage you. Many of you know that one of my favorite authors is named Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she wrote a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. She's written other books also, but this is the one I read from the most often. And I'm going to take half of the middle of a story describing Friday and Saturday because I believe she is an incredible writer. And I want us to catch what Peter's doing here. He doesn't need us to do a deep dive on who is in prison. He wants us to understand what was done for us in the atonement, and I believe Sally explains that really well. If you have a Jesus story of a Bible nearby, I'm going to be reading from The Sun Did Not Shine. I'm just going to read page 304 and 306. They nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, Jesus gasped. They don't understand what you're doing. You say you've come to rescue us, people shouted, but you can't even rescue yourself. But they were wrong. Jesus could have rescued himself. A legion of angels would have flown to his side if he had called. If you were really the son of God, you could just climb down off that cross, they said. And of course they were right. Jesus could have just climbed down. Actually, he could have just said a word and made it all stop, like when he healed that little girl and stilled the storm and fed 5,000 people, but Jesus stayed. You see, they didn't understand. It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus there. It was love. Papa, Jesus cried frantically, searching the sky. Papa, where are you? Don't leave me. And for the first time, and the last, when he spoke, nothing happened. Just a horrible, endless silence. God didn't answer. He turned away from his boy. Tears rolled down Jesus' face, the face of the one who would wipe away every tear from every eye. Even though it was midday, a dreadful darkness covered the face of the world. The sun could not shine. The earth trembled and quaked. The great mountains shook. Rocks split in two until it seemed that the whole world would break, that creation itself would tear apart. The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. Then Jesus shouted out in a loud voice, it is finished. And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. And with a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black. 
like a bruise. Peter teaches us, or hopefully reminds us, that Christ brings us to God through the horrific pain for Jesus of Friday and of Saturday and the sacrament. Peter writes that the sacrament saves you and it saves you because it represents in in the moment, it represents in this realm what happened, that Christ pursued you and rescued you and sometime later, you responded. The confessions describe the sacrament of baptism as a sign and as a seal. And the sign is invisible to us, visible to the supernatural realm, whose you are. The alternative is to be your own or to be Christ's. Sometimes when I offer communion, the other sacrament to people, I'll say, body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means Jesus is yours and you are his forever. Some of you don't remember your baptism. How much more beautiful that God's grace and mercy pursued you and called you his own before you even had words. Many of you remember your baptism. I invite both of you to reflect on it. How loving is the Father that he would pursue us before anything. It is not only a sign, it's a seal. A little bit like Mithril. Lord of the Rings fans remember the really shiny coat that Frodo gets. It's very thin, very beautiful, and incredibly effective at protecting the young hobbit. It is not obvious but it is immensely beautiful and powerful when fully revealed. Baptism is something that we see and experience in this realm, but something that is visible and powerful in the realm beyond ours. One of my favorite baptisms, Baptism Sundays here at the church, is a day that uh, some friends baptized their child. I baptized their child. And some other friends that want to wait until their child professes faith promised to pray for and raise their child in a Christ-like fashion. The reason I say that is because though I um, have convictions about baptism and age, parents, you are the most important humans in their life. Teaching them about the love of God and the love of neighbor. Discipling them. Holding them. Teaching them about life and especially the with God life. And so my encouragement is don't neglect your child's baptism. What age? A couple of months ago, I was reading different position papers on this by churches that I respect, and I don't, there isn't a perfect age in my opinion. If you're willing, we'll baptize your infant if you're a follower of Christ. If you want to read more about that, it's in the Westminster Confession of Faith and in the catechisms explaining why. If you'd like to wait, that is your prerogative, and we support that, but do not neglect it. If you're an adult who calls Jesus Lord, please contact me or another elder soon. 
Peter likens the power of baptism to being in the ark when the earth is flooded as a description of the power of the sacrament. So let's converse if you have questions about age. If you're interested in learning more about how to think about it, any of our elders or I or Will Downey would be pleased to discuss this with you, but the important thing is that you not neglect the sacrament. Christ brings us to God through Saturday and the sacrament which seals us as his. I believe that you believe he's for you. I think that you affirm that and that you trust that and that you follow him because of that. That's why Peter is talking about these things, to encourage you in what you already believe. I know some listening are not followers of Christ. Peter is writing an encouragement to those who are followers of Christ, and I hope you continue to explore and ask your honest questions. About a year ago, a friend with a series of very good questions threw Descended into Hell right in the middle of this. Our questions. There's a lot to that. Those of you that are followers of Christ, Peter is expecting you to be encouraged. And then he does something that happens throughout the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus is seated with God. Matthew chapter 6 teaches us to pray our God who is in heaven. Revelation describes Jesus on his throne or alongside the throne. Here he says he who has gone Christ, Jesus Christ, verse 22, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And Peter's fully expecting this to encourage you that Jesus, who is not a man celebrated or recognized for most of his earthly ministry with the exception of some of the larger miracles and teaching times, is actually God, which means he sees outside of time, which means he knows your past and is even tending to its healing, which means he is with you today and longing for you to continue to lean into his guidance. And he longs for you to understand that your future is secure because of him. That is why so many New Testament writers locate God to remind us of his power, power that death could not hold down. Acts chapter 2. And this is why we respond the way we do. This is why we worship. Worship is a natural response to kind and pure authority that's loving. The only actual example of that is God, especially revealed in his son. We respond as a move of joy, and our obedience is not to get his favor, but because we receive it by faith. Sometimes I summarize the gospel, but the gospel cannot be better summarized than this. Jesus, who brings us to God because of his great love for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you. Help us to trust you. Jesus, we see that you are good and loving. Grip us with your love that we might follow you out of joy. For those with questions, Holy Spirit, come alongside them. Give them good conversation partners and prayer with those questions. 
Holy Spirit, for those of us who trust you, we long to trust you greater and greater. Meet us. Fill us with your spirit. Amen.